This is Pete Moore. I want to tell you about a company that is going to change the entire recruiting in the Halo sector. The company's called GamePlan. We are GamePlan.com. What they do is they connect employer brands with D1, D2, D3 athletes across the country. They power the software that allows these employers to get in front of tens of thousands of athletes. If you watch the NCAA tournament, the hustle, grit, preparation, determination, and absolute desire to win embodies every athlete out there. Now you're gonna be able to put your brand in front of those athletes, start to get them to understand after their college career, they can get into the halo sector, go work at a studio, a health club, fitness equipment company, supplements, anything related to this industry, they can now parlay those skills and bring it into the sports and fitness industry that we are going to have the best athletes become the best employees and create the best companies. And that is the future of Halo. One, two, three, Halo. We are gameplan.com. Check it out. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Jeff Riney. We've been on parallel paths throughout the health club industry for many years. Uh, he is now with the St. James on complexes that have all sports in it, catering towards kids, adults. And he's going to tell us where that market's going and some of the lessons that he's learned. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. So, you want to start off and just, you know, talk about your you know, health club and, and branding experience and then, you know, how you were brought on here, um, you know, to open up another location, but now you're immersed in the, you know, in the primary one. Sure. Uh, yeah. Like a lot of people, I got into the, the halo industry, the fitness industry by chance. Uh, I started back in 95 um, selling memberships to avoid, you know, their classic nine to five job and worked with a number of companies throughout the industry. A lot of the, the usual suspects uh, started with Bally, uh, migrated over to Crunch after that acquisition happened, was with Crunch, uh, you know, multi-site, multi-region, Chicago, Atlanta, Orange County, Hollywood, um, transitioned over to Equinox at that point, ran the Chicago market as well as opening their Texas market. Um, went to Fitness Formula Clubs, which is a regional player in Chicago, uh, 11 locations, was there for nine years, and then came on with the St. James in uh, right at the end of 2019, November of 2019, uh, and have been there ever since. So, you know, as you went through some of, you know, when you talk about Equinox and, and Crunch, a Fitness Formula, each one has their own, you know, different pricing model, different, you know, of services and amenities. As you think about where you are now with St. James, you know, what, what, what do you kind of pull from in the past to say, these are some of the best, you know, either skills or, you know, focusing on employee retention or focusing on a sales system or you know, what, what are some of the things that stick out to you is like, this is when I go into a new company, I kind of diagnose these things that, that I might need to fix or that, that they're optimized. Yeah, it's funny. As I look back at my career, you know, I started with, at the time, the biggest health club company in the world, and every migration I've made has been to smaller locations, right. and I've gone, I've gone down to one. We did just open a second location uh, two weeks ago, but, you know, from a branding standpoint, you know, Crunch and Equinox are really kind of the first big brands in the industry going back to the 90s. And understanding the relevance of a customer's um, relationship with a brand versus, you know, a commodity 
um, as, as we've all seen in the last decade or so, this, this bifurcation of the industry from the HVLP sector up to the high touch, high price point, um, you know, what I've learned is it's hard to play at the higher price point. And that's why there's less consumers there. There's certainly less customers, but there's also less players up there because it's, it's harder to, it's harder to deliver on. And so, um, you know, certainly you hit on the big ones, employee retention, your, your, your team members, as we call them, um, but your employees are the ones who are actually executing the service. And so you got to take care of them. Otherwise, they're not going to take care of your customer. Right. Um, and, you know, th those are some of the, 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 the big platitudes and, and, and learnings that um, the biggest brands in, in consumer facing hospitality um, understand are the ones that really resonate with, with, with what we're doing now. So as you kind of went down to smaller sized platforms and entities, how did you kind of think through on your own? I used to have a lot of resources. Now I've got less resources. And then the independent operator, you know, you can leverage technology, you know, you can leverage people's experiences, but did you feel more comfortable in a more entrepreneurial environment or, you know, were the corporate corporate overheads of these larger entities too large and like they were trying to make things for people to do? And my point yeah. is on that is like, like I say, like you need 11 people to do anything to like feel the soccer team and then everybody else is not really sure what they're doing except taking work off of other people's plates. Yeah, I definitely experienced the 37 signatures to get some paper towels ordered uh, yeah, exactly. early in my career and, um, and, and wanted to, to eliminate as much of that as possible. And, you know, I think, you know, while I went to smaller organizations, what inversely rose was my ability to impact others, um, both organizationally and ultimately through the customers and, and being able to shape that. I've always had uh, some entrepreneurial DNA, um, but um, ended up being really effective at being an entrepreneur, you know, working, working within an organization and actually uh, being able to help shape it, someone else's visions and execute it. So yeah, be, being a little more scrappy with resources, trying to make sure that as you scale, you don't uh, layer in these redundancies that, that cause, you know, multiple signatures for, for basic right. things um, has been a big part. It's just, you know, the, the simpler you can keep it, the clearer your message can be, the faster you're going to be able to execute and go. Mm -hmm. So when you talk, can you give people a little bit of background on, on the St. James, how that was set up, the funding around it, who's involved in it. And then we can talk a little bit about what other cities and communities are doing to have these types of complexes, some of that's funded by the government, some of that's private capital, and it's going to be interesting to see how that all, that, that plays out. Um, yeah, the, the St. James uh, is really the brainchild of the co-founders and co-CEOs, Kendrick Ashton and Craig Dixon. It's our first location, uh, what we refer to as our flagship, is in Springfield, Virginia, suburban D.C., so inside the Beltway, but it's 450,000 square feet under one roof. Um, it's a number of different business entities kind of all in one, but uh, it's a it's a hybrid member, non-member business. So for a lot of the folks who listen to this coming from the, the health fitness, uh, health and fitness category, we do have a membership model that does have a 50,000 square foot complex, uh, sorry, 50,000 square foot health club, or what we refer to as a performance club at the center of what we have. Um, there's a full service restaurant. There's a retail boutique, sneaker boutique. There's a seven-room meta spa, uh, and there's a 
20,000 square foot active entertainment center, which is a mix of a ninja course and a trampoline park and a Nerf battle zone and climbing structures, VR, esports. So are you, running, got, are you running all those or is, are any of those, you know, like we, franchised and separate entities? Great question. We actually, when I say we, uh, it, the, the broader we, because I wasn't involved at the beginning, um, but but we developed all these brands in-house. So we have wow. separate, separate, very um, highly branded experiences in each one of these. And the, the bulk of the square footage is sports venues. And so we have two NHL ice rinks in our ice house. Our field house is an indoor FIFA regulation, 110,000 square foot soccer pitch, which obviously can house an indoor high school football game. Four basketball courts, which is convert to nine volleyball courts a 50 meter 11 lane long course pool, which also goes short course to 22 lanes at 25 yards with an attached water park. I feel like I would just live there. I would, I would just like move in. <laughs> it's like, sounds yeah. like summer camp on steroids. Uh, eight, eight squash courts, six golf simulators, 15,000 square foot gymnastics center, six hitting tunnels. So yeah, the concept um, and really the proverbial problem to be solved was active families with multiple kids and multiple right. sports. That's really the sweet spot of the customer is you've got this distributed offering and highly fragmented offering with, you know, uh, ice rinks that you can't get ice time until 11 o'clock at night for your nine-year-old. Right. And, you know, mom's taking Susie to gymnastics over here and dad's taking Johnny to, to hockey over there. Games are one place, right. you know, tournaments are somewhere else. They're dilapidated facilities that are municipality owned. And so the idea was, what if we could make elite level, world-class competition sanction facilities under one roof um, and all these places could happen to one, one, one space and then really add in these other lifestyle brands for the whole family to be able to enjoy. Um, and it's this, the elite programming, coaching and venues. And those are the kind of three legs of the stool to be able to provide. So let, let me ask you a question about a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they'll do, you know, feasibility studies. Um, you know, you've got this massive complex. Um, you've got X amount of, of golf simulators, or you say six? Six golf simulators, yeah. yeah. So, so did you say, look, let's put six in. Did somebody say, let's put eight? Did somebody say, let's put four? Like, did you, how do, you know, they're going to get used because you're a destination, right? But how do you think about, equipment purchases and experiences and how much of that is like in an Excel model versus like, look, I've been doing this for 25 years. I got a pulse on what's going on here. I know what people are asking for, you know, tell us how, like how you make decisions that might not be, you know, as analytical as, as you might, might want them to be. Yeah. I think, you know, first of all, to answer the question around the flagship, you know, uh, what's really surprising is, uh, you know, Kendrick and Craig, who, who came up with this concept, neither one of them come from the industry. They've got an investment banking background and law backgrounds, um, but they're parents and they're the customer. And so some of it's intuitive. Some of it was hiring some, some, uh, some, some consultants, you know, who are really experts in the field, but they spent a lot of time ideating around it. And uh, it's shocking how quickly you run out of space with 450,000 square feet <laughs> when you're doing, trying to do all these things. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the performance club, we've just opened our second location, which is taking the health club version of what we have at the core and starting to kind of have a distributed approach to the region. So in Reston, Virginia, we've opened our first performance club, 
which is conceptually a health club offering that you've got a membership base and it's all you can eat and come and enjoy everything there uh, for one membership dues. But it's really the, the three elements of what elite athletes have access to, which is performance training, recovery, and nutrition, and giving the tools and the programming that, you know, uh, predominantly pro sports, but a lot of division one sports have access to and allowing everyone to train like an athlete. And to your question, like not a lot of this has been done before. So you can certainly do some studies, but it's also like, look, when you walk in, you want it to feel different and look different and be obvious that it's something else. So you've got to have some of your design plans with that versus, you know, something that a model is going to show. Yeah. So I kind of want to get into your brain here on 450,000 square feet. You know, you're going in, you've worked at these other, other operations. You've got one or two locations. So if, if you sent your resume and that, you know, like I said, you just sent my resume to banks. They say you're overqualified for this job. Like, no, they just didn't, didn't pick me. Um, but you've run large organizations and now you're honing in on this one, which is basically a city in and of itself. How do you think about hiring those people and, you know, having a lens on all these different nutrition, uh, workout recovery, obviously you're going to hire experts, but you're at this level of, I got to, I got to ensure that I get the best talent and that I run each one of these operations, which have their own nuances to them. So how do you, how do you kind of get up to speed quickly and then say, I'm going to hire the best people and then they're, I'm going to let them run it, but I got to understand the business model in every different facet of this entity. Yeah, it's um, the phrase I use is uh, you got to become an expert at becoming an expert. Right, and right, so right. really understand the nuances like of e each of the business units you have. This is particularly important in, in our sports because right now we're, we're actively operating uh, 11 different sports. In our sports ecosystem, we have the full player development model. So we've got you know, the pyramids. We've got learn to programming farther up to developmental programming into competition. When you get on a travel team, we own the travel team. So we've got, you know, a couple thousand kids on travel teams that play for the St. James in either lacrosse or soccer or hockey, swimming, dance. And so each one of these sports has their own particular nuances around them. There's obviously common threads to, okay, if you have a team and those teams are going to be investing in programming and instruction and there's their own little ecosystem, but each sport has its own nuances and the sub-market around it, like what matters to lacrosse players in Northern Virginia compared to Baltimore, which is not that far away and what the local landscape is. So hiring experts is, is critically important, but you've got to get up to speed so you understand and speak their language and, and know what the heck you're talking about. So, so we invested in a company several years ago, it's called the Athlete Book, it merged into a company called Game Plan. Uh, but the goal there was to try and get division one, two, and three college athletes into the halo sector instead of them going and getting a desk job. So when you look at each one of these sports, are you trying to recruit, you know, ex-head coaches, you know, ex-professional athletes, local athletes that are known by the kids? How do you think about that? Or is it, is it more just like there's an opportunity, there's someone available and we're, you know, we're just kind of, you know, next man up. Yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting question because we spent a lot of time on this. You know, we just decided to launch Boys Lacrosse, which um, before I got into this business, I didn't realize that Boys Lacrosse and Girls Lacrosse are two different sports. They're not two different versions of a sport like basketball. It's a different sport entirely. 
And, um, and so when the, we hire a director to run the entire sport. And our director of boys lacrosse is Rick Sowell. Rick Sowell is a two-time USA Lacrosse Hall of Fame inductee, both as a player, as a coach. He's taken three different programs at the college level from a losing record to the championship, including Naval Academy. So he's an amazing, amazing, you know, uh, name in boys lacrosse, and he's going to run our travel program. But Rick, uh, while he's an incredible name and incredible understanding of the, of the, of, of the sport, he's never run a business. He's never actually tried to figure out how do I get kids to come to a clinic? How do I get the word out there, the basic business development skills? And so what that sport director has are different skills than someone who's actually run a travel team and done the kind of, you know, uh, ground game of, of building the business. So you have to understand a P&L. You got to understand how to run this effectively. You got to understand the, the nuances between you pay your coaches hourly or you paying them the stipends. And so it's really a mix of being able to run a business and know the sport, but uh, it's easier to teach the business side than it is to teach the sport expertise. Mm -hmm. Well, one question that just popped into my head as you, as you're talking about these types of, you know, name coaches or name players, um, you're kind of running um, like a professional sports team to an extent where, you know, I've got personalities that are good. I got egos that could be good or bad. I've got people that say, you know, the reason why this sport excels here is because of me, not because of the facility or the infrastructure or, you know, what we provide ancillarily. Um, it's basically, I'm the coach and I, you know, I have a, a strategy to do that. So how do you kind of help balance like soul cycle? They put the name of the instructor on the class and I follow that instructor orange theory. I don't know who the instructor is. I just know it's, I go to a six o'clock class. Right. So mm -hmm. the member, the member, is, is wed to the facility and to the program at Orange Theory where I'm wed to like the artist in a soul cycle. So it seems like you kind of have like an interesting mix and each sport has like, I got elite program, I got elite people and I got to manage both. And I also got to like innovate and, and keep up with all the new advancements at the same time. So you're kind of, you got an interesting, yeah, you know, it's so balancing act that you're doing. It's, it's certainly a cocktail and, you know, yeah. the, the, the allegories to sport and team to team sports specifically is a lot drives a lot of what we do. So you certainly can have some superstars um, and they can bring a lot of recognition and be a, a center of gravity for, for business. Um, you know, you see that in a lot of pro sports, but if they can't play well with others, it's not going to translate to wins for the team. And so we've uh, we've had some superstar athletes in our sports that we've learned aren't really great for the business. Um, it doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them bad for a team. And we really need a little bit more on the team sports side uh, from an attitude, even for the individual sports. I'm going to completely change topics here, but I want to get your opinion on something. All right. Kids that are playing at four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and they don't keep score in a soccer game or in these games are like recreational. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, uh, I've got a couple of different perspectives on this one, because this is what I do for business. And two, I've got kids that are in that age group and actually play sports. Okay. And what I've learned on both fronts is they all keep score. Even if there's no scoreboard, even if the coaches have announced it, they Thank all keep score. My, my kid is in T-ball and last year and you know they're not keeping score and then at the end of the game he's like we won by three just so you know 
And, <laughs> but he's not there. Like every kid's like they're, they're every kids, they're, yeah. the kids are doing it. Um, a lot of times the coaches are doing it. The parents are doing it. So you, you gotta, you gotta have score. Um, yeah, okay. thank you. We're in agreement. Let's keep yeah. the podcast going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, but, but it's interesting because, you know, we're very much on the player development side. It's not about winning. It's not about winning at all costs, but a lot of these, you know, travel, programs do is you know it's some parent that's got a kid that's that's good and so i want to make sure johnny plays well so i'm going to try to recruit a bunch of other kids you end up having three good kids on the team and a bunch of other also rants that never get any coached any coaching and they don't ever develop and they could become pretty good players and pursue these passions later in life and so you got to have someone who can bring it up but winning is important it's just not the only thing you got to be able to develop the players to get there especially yeah. at those younger ages yeah so so kind of uh in the same category of, of questioning, you know, there's, there's this whole rise of an awareness of mental health and there's only so much pressure that I could take. And, and maybe I have, maybe there's too much that are put on these kids. Like I watched the, the King uh, Richard, um, you know, movie. And that was, that was pretty awesome. Like he kind of shielded the girl, you know, the, the, the Williams girls from some of the pressure and some of the, the competition, you know, and he had a path that was unconventional, you know, and, and I remember, a couple of years ago, and Dave and I use this quote a lot at the U S open, when you're walking out onto the championship court in big letters, it says pressure is a privilege, right? And you're going onto that court and you're going on to win and that comes with it. Right. So are, are we kind of going backwards and saying, okay, you know, we're going to treat you with kids gloves, or if you lose, you know, take three to six months off to you know, kind of like reset or just say, you know what? I lost this match. We're in a competition. The clock starts, the clock ends. It's not like business where it's like, dude, I'm not going to, I'm not going bankrupt until like I have to, right? It's like, okay, at some point the game ends and like suck it up and learn from it. Look at tape, slow it down and, and fix it. Like, are, are we getting too, um, too soft with people or are we putting so much pressure on these kids or, or is that just what it is? Like sports are competitive and, and it's getting, all these kids are getting stronger. Right. So it's going to be more pressure. Yeah, I think, you know, it's um, look, there's a, there's an inherent level of pressure and stress that comes with performance that the kids have to learn, um, but they have to learn at the right time and it amongst with everything else. And so, you know, the, the way I look at this is, um, you know, there's there's the there's the age old argument of specialization versus generalization. You know, are you doing Tiger Woods or are you Roger Federer? And, um, you know, I, I believe um, and, and I'll, I'll bring the St. James into it. We believe that kids should be engaging in multiple sports and multiple seasons at a very young age. It's just going to produce better outcomes. But at some point you get into your teenage years and if you really want to go all in, you can. And I think that mirrors the time frame where you start kind of focusing on, you don't want to beat the kids up for losing when they're six, though they won't like it. They won't yeah, like yeah. sports, yeah. but to shield them from it, um, mental health and mental preparation is a big focus, like physical is as well. Um, and we're doing a lot of things in this space to kind of help the athletes. But, um, you know, to, to shield them for the pressure is, is frankly doing them a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that you mentioned before that I'm, that I'm thinking about is you said like the St. James becomes like this complex that people can get to. They don't have to like take road trips. Um, my buddies in Arizona, Brian Mitchell, uh, we'll call him out, you know, and he's like taking his kid to <clears throat> two hours away and staying, you know, and, and standing in the sun in Arizona, you know, for 12 hours for them to go to four baseball games and then, 
his wife takes his, his daughter to a soccer tournament. And I think a lot of the frustration on behalf of the parents is their return on time. And mm-hmm. the fact that if you could say like, okay, we're going to create St. James types of, of, of complexes, it eliminates a lot of the stress. It gives people some of their time back. And, you know, we were actually working on something in, Char- in Charlotte. We were trying to, uh, we were helping a group that had a land development rights and they were trying to create something. We were going to call it champs, like the Charlotte uh, amateur sports complex. And um, there was a lot of political tape that you had to go through of like, is it this in, is it in this county line? Um, can we put a hotel on on the property so like people can just stay there and put like a you know like a Chuck E. Cheese or you know something healthy, but where nobody le- needs to leave it. And everyone comes here and they don't have to find the Hampton Inn, the Holiday Express, and so on and so forth. So I guess my question is maybe that wasn't by design, but do you feel like the parents and the kids are happier because they don't need to necessarily go on all these road trips? Or are they going on the road trips like representing St. James? So we def- the, our travel teams definitely go on the road. You have to go play where the competition is. And particularly as these kids are trying to like really compete at a very high level. Mm-hmm. But it was absolutely by design. And frankly, the thesis for the business is to actually put all this in one spot so that active families could actually spend more time together. Uh, I had had a mother of a family not too long ago make a comment that I think is is the best uh, testimonial that encapsulates what we do. She said, what used to take us eight hours apart, we now get done in four hours together. That's exactly. And that, I think that when you, when you, like really unravel that a lot of the stress on these marriages or the, the time and intensity away and then coming back and everyone's exhausted, um, right. you know, and that affects everything. So yeah, I, lo- I love what you guys are doing. I went to summer camp for 10 years. You know, uh, I carry a football around at all times with my wide receiver gloves. Um, I, <laughs> I, my, 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 my bag is a Babolat uh, tennis bag because it fits directly in the overhead. And if someone asks me if I play, I just tell them I'm ranked 128 because they're not going to Google it. You know, they'll just think, okay, this guy's like <laughs> sort of good, but not really good. So it's cool, this guy plays something. Um, but I'm like a three five, so it's like totally misrepresentation of my tennis capabilities. Um, when you think about, you know, in closing here, what you guys have built, you know, and you're saying, okay, we're going into a second location. You know, would you say, okay, we're going to go put 450 down? Would you say, you know, what's what have you learned from a size standpoint or like what, what's the prototype or does the prototype kind of change and evolve? Like it, it depends what we want to do. It depends how much land we have. It depends what's trending. Do you need yeah. a prototype for this? Uh, you know, the way we look at it, this, the flagship, the 450 um, is, has got, you know, there will probably be evolution of the pieces and parts to it. Um, but the plan was always a hub and spoke approach where we've got this flagship that's got everything in it. And then there's different pieces and parts. And if it's 30,000 or a hundred thousand, you know, you've got different parts that kind of go into these spokes around it, the satellites. Right. And then, uh, and then take that nationally. The original plan pre COVID was we would open these flagships across the country and then we would actually, um, build out around them. And what COVID pivoted us to was let's just get the region of Washington built out kind of hyper local, and then we can actually expand uh, nationally from there. So, um, w- you know, when you're looking at the big flagship, I think you got to have most of that. We figured out there's a couple of things we would tweak, but 
mostly got it right. And the question is really about the sub-markets and what competition is out there and what's what's where where is the supply demand gap? Yeah, that's great. Well, it sounds like you love your job. It sounds like, you know, even though you, you're managing less locations, like this is probably where you should be uh, from, <laughs> from an experience standpoint. And also you don't have to travel around as much, right? From a, you have to be a regional district manager. You can just walk 450,000 square feet a day. Um, I don't know what that is on a pedometer. Um, so you got any uh, final quotes or business um, you know, isms that, you know, uh, Jeff, Jeff says this all the time or how you kind of manage people or processes. Uh, the one, there's a lot of those. And if you talk to my team, you probably could rattle them off more than I can. But, right, right. um, um, <laughs> uh, I think the one that I've been saying the most lately is, uh, marketing tells the story, sales sells the story and operations has to make the story come true. And really making sure that there's a through line from what you're telling the market, what your salespeople are actually selling and what you're actually able to deliver. Because if there's any gaps in those, that's when people opt out. And so understanding and controlling those three, the three legs of that stool um, is important. So That's great. All right. Well, uh, look forward to meeting you in person at some point. We might just show up one day and say, like, hey, we know Jeff, and you'll see me like kicking field goals. Um, <laughs> Randy, we'll make some time for you. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, um, now we're friends after 25 years of running in concentric circles. So I'm <laughs> um, glad to have you around and uh, great talking. Yeah. Good to reconnect. Take care. See you guys.